There's just so many great D-Wave moments. Definitely the finals where they were down, what, 0-2 and came back and won four straight games. His dunk on Varejao was legendary. The lob to LeBron uh, during the Heatle days was legendary. I just try to be as precise as possible with my decision making, and that starts with my preparation. So that I know, I've watched film, I've studied this, I've put thousands of hours in, you know, working on certain moves to where, regardless of the results, I've done my job. I've done everything I can to put myself in a position to have success. I think failure is huge because in order to succeed, you, you have to learn how to deal with failure. You have to be able to overcome failure because then the psyche and the mindset is that, okay, I've been through this before and I know that I can overcome it. And it's just a mindset and mentality to teach yourself that you might fall down, but you have to figure out ways to get back up immediately. Welcome to the Bobby Abreu episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 53, currently back in Portland, Oregon. Uh, coming off of a crazy come-from-behind win against the Lakers. Uh, they were playing a lot of their young guys, a lot of guys who were uh, competing for contracts for the upcoming season. They played extremely hard. Uh, it was also my second game back from injury. And Mo Harkless could be so heartless, ended up hitting the game winner as time expired and allowed us to see a home court heading into the playoffs with one game remaining uh, before the regular season ends against the Sacramento Kings. There's a lot at stake in the Western and Eastern Conference uh, scenarios for playoffs. Obviously, health is, is of the biggest concern. So the fact that I'm able to return uh, as we head back into the playoffs is great. You know, I'm feeling good, um, moving well. Conditioning is where I thought it would be, you know, after playing two games, the last one being 29 minutes. And I'm looking forward to a strong playoff push and as we continue to try to get better and advance. Um, without further ado, let's welcome Jordan Schultz to the Pull Up Pod, as always. Jordan, college basketball is officially over. Guys are declaring for the draft. Kyle Corver wrote a great piece. Magic stepped down right before the game in front of my very eyes. D. Wade and Dirk in with 30 points. Jamal Crawford drops a 50-piece. Oldest player in NBA history to score 50. There's just so much to talk about, so little time. Let's first start with college basketball since it's the the, the last thing that ended uh, right before our very eyes. Great, great championship game, wasn't it? All time, all time. For me, you know, going into this game, CJ, I think a lot of people dismissed it as a rock fight, you know, two great defensive teams, first and third nationally in defensive efficiency. And yet, here we are a couple days later, and I think it's probably going to go down as one of the great all-time games. Um, think about what Virginia accomplished, you know, last year, obviously losing to UMBC and then coming back and winning a title. And then think about Texas Tech, um, you know, unprecedented in their history. I think a lot of credit goes to the upperclassmen, we talk a lot about freshmen, and and rightfully so. Guys like Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett. Um, but look at this season with Virginia and Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy and DeAndre Hunter and uh, even a sophomore like Jared Culver at Texas Tech. I think it's really cool that we were able to see upperclassmen play such a big role. Yeah, I was happy to see upperclassmen playing a big role. Happy to see uh, Tony Bennett being able to rally his troops and uh, – essentially turn around what was a very disappointing 2017-2018 season with them losing in the first round and being, I think they were the first uh, one seed to ever lose to a 16 seed. So being able to go from that to winning a national championship, uh, three come from behind uh, victories, obviously. The game against uh, Purdue was insane, you know, hitting a shot to send the game into overtime and then being down with about, I don't know, 
30 seconds left in this game against uh, Texas Tech. Uh, Jerome driving, finding Hunter in the corner, banging the three, then being able to, you know, prevent Texas Tech from getting a good shot off and forcing the game to go in overtime. It was just a, a classic game where a lot of players, you know, improved their draft stock. Obviously, Culver struggled a little bit, but showed that he has some versatility, some length and ability to play one on one. I think the biggest winners in this were Hunter and Jerome showing that they could both be, you know, Hunter being a top five, top 10 pick, Jerome being maybe a late first pick and guy potentially sliding in uh, early second, uh, depending on uh, how he does in the uh, workouts this upcoming uh, pre-draft. Hunter, just a sophomore, I see a lot of OG Ananobi with him. You know, that size, 6'7", 225, 230, can shoot it, handle the ball a little bit, obviously defend. Uh, That's my comparison with him. And I was talking to a couple of GMs about the young youngsters in this game, uh, Culver, Guy, Hunter, and Jerome, and heard a lot of really good things consistently about Hunter because of his motor, uh, the way he stepped up, obviously, in the in the clutch. He he really was absolutely dominant uh, during the the uh, second half and overtime. He had he was a, eleven of twelve from the floor with with twenty eight points, I believe. I, I tweeted this out off to verify the stat, but that just gives you an idea of how clutch he was because he had never scored 27 points in a game CJ and that was his career high so he stepped up in a, in a really big way um, when Virginia really needed offense so that was a big deal to me and- yeah I was really impressed with Hunter his efficiency his, his strength and his ability to guard he was able to move his feet really really well when he was guarding Culver and being able to slide left and right get in and out of cuts chasing on off ball and uh, one of the things that really also impressed me was Jerome's vision you know, he, he was making some great plays off the bounce, you know, being able to get into the lane and find guy, get into the lane, finding the bigs and just kind of controlling tempo. I thought he had his hand all over that game and really showed some heady poise and execution down the stretch when uh, they were down three. He drove to lane, uh, forced help out of the corner and found Hunter four or three late in the game to to really tie things up and put the pressure back on Texas Tech. And I thought that showed his poise because he, he could have took the layup. He could have took the quick two and then they had to play the foul game. But he had the poise and, and confidence in Hunter in the corner. And, and that was just a huge play that changed the game. Yeah, 29 on 11 and 12 shooting, CJ, for Hunter combined uh, offensive stats during the second half and overtime of both Final Four games. Um, Jerome, we, we've talked a lot about pace. We, we hear that word a lot. And, and I like that you brought him up too because – uh, you know, he he's not going to blow by you necessarily with that explosive first step, but his pace, uh, the way he gets to his spots, talk about Ty Jerome and what you what you saw from him um, and just his intelligence, his acumen, and his ability to get to where he wants and dictate the defense even without being, in a, uh, you know, a really explosive athlete. Yeah, I thought he had great pace, and that was one of the things that, you know, I noticed right away wasn't he doesn't have blazing speed he's not extremely athletic but he's a smart heady player he can play one-on-one he can play in pick and rolls he can manipulate a defense and he's just constantly figured out ways to to win and and make his team better whether that be hitting big shots when they need a three getting to a pull-up showing that he has the in-between game which is crucial in the NBA game they always talk about the analytics and shooting threes versus getting layups but you know down the stretch of games uh, it's oftentimes hard to get all the way to the basket. So you have to be able to get your defender off balance and raise up. And I think he did that a few times down the stretch and he needed baskets. And he just showed a, a knack for making a big play. I think uh, Doug Gottlieb or, or someone tweeted that if Ty Jerome was from Latvia, he'd be a top 10 pick. And it just kind of shows you 
you know, how we how we grade and rate European players versus Americans when we have a lot of time to watch them over and over again throughout their careers. Sometimes less film is better. And if we only had the film of Ty Jerome in these big games and these big moments, I think he would be a lock for a first round pick as opposed to having film, you know, of multiple years, you know, not just big moments and big wins, but also losses to like to the likes of UNBC. I think that affects yeah. uh, a player's overall draft stock and, and perception. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Ty Jerome you know, what's to say that he couldn't be a good NBA player just because he, you know, he doesn't jump 40 inches and isn't, you know, a 6'7 wing. He's still got decent enough size, and, and he, he's really just a, a very functional player. I think Kyle Guy is going to sneak up on a lot of people. He was a McDonald's All-American, but it kind of flew, flew under the radar because he didn't go to Carolina or Duke or uh, Villanova, you know, not to take anything away against Virginia, but he was one of Tony Bennett's biggest ever recruits, and, and yet here he is. Um, on the biggest stage, and and by the way, he had, I don't, I have to check, but he had his Twitter avatar, CJ, as UMBC. It was as a picture of him, basically, you know, going to the floor borderline after losing to UMBC with the Golden Retrievers, you know, celebrating in the background. He had not changed it all year, and I thought it was interesting that he he kept referring back to that, not to move on from it but to use that as a learning example to help them accomplish what they did. Yeah, he was great you know, throughout this tournament run uh, in the game against Texas Tech. He finished with 24 points, was 100% from the free throw line, 53% from the field, and obviously in the Auburn game, hitting those big free throws down the stretch. And, and the three-pointer, which was so underrated to, to put them in position to even have a chance to win, kind of showed his knack for making big shots. And Jay Williams talked about, the adversity he had gone through, you know, the 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 death threats he faced on Twitter, the 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 hate, the the ability to be able to overcome all those things to make free throws down the stretch, to to lean back on those sour moments, those sour experiences and the adversity they had gone through to help build that character and that foundation for what they have today. Tony Bennett talked about playing a song and kind of showing them that, you know, all he wants is for them to have a chance to be in a title fight, you know, similar to Rocky, having a chance to be able to to play in that big game, that big moment and to go through all the things they went through, you know, being being down in, in the opening round, being down against Auburn, being down against Purdue. Being down against Texas Tech, he felt like they were battle tested, and that all those trials and tribulations had built them up to be able to to handle the success they were going to receive. And I think that just shows you the faith and importance of uh, trusting yourself and understanding that, you know, regardless of the adversity and things you go through, uh, learn from it and understand that it's just building you up for that strong moment and that signature moment in your life. And this is a signature moment in all their lives, being able to get a national championship, being able to overcome, you know, being a one seed, losing to a 16 seed and being able to perform down the stretch. And and one of the things I liked about Kyle Guy was he said it, he said, I was extremely nervous. You know, I was, I was, you know, uneasy. I had those butterflies in my stomach, but I trusted my preparation. I trusted my work up to this point, and I just knocked him down. I didn't know I was going to make him, but I was glad I did, and that kind of shows you his mindset and mentality. He said he was terrified, which I thought was really cool, to your point, having that vulnerability. Um, have you ever been terrified or really, really nervous in a big moment like that, CJ? I've been uneasy. Uh, in high school, my senior year, uh, I got fouled with, I don't know, Less than a second left on the clock, down two, senior years on the line uh, in the playoffs. And all I was thinking was that I've been here before. Um, this is exactly what I want. And I want to be able to decide my fate. You know, my senior season either ends on me or it advances on me. And um, 
I just trusted my my rhythm, trusted my routine, and I always say sharks going to eat, and you can you kind of control you know whether you eat or not. You know, as a shark, you you swim around, you look for food, and if you find it, you eat, and if you don't, uh, you figure out a way to survive. And I went up there, I knocked down both free throws, and the game went overtime, and we end up losing anyway. But uh, I remember my high school coach saying there was no doubt in my mind CG was going to make those free throws because of you know, his mindset and mentality. He's very headstrong. He's very poised. He's very confident in himself. And uh, I never waver, you know, regardless of the moment, whether I succeed or fail, I'm comfortable with it being on my shoulders because I've failed before. So I know what it's like and I can handle it. And I'm comfortable with having success because I've done that before as well. So um, I can be humble uh, regardless of the circumstances and situations. And Failure is important, but only when you are able to learn from it and then use that as um you know a platform to get better yeah absolutely i think i think failure is huge because in order to succeed you you have to learn how to deal with failure you have to be able to overcome failure you have to be comfortable uh with with not having things go your way because then the psyche and the mindset is that okay i've been through this before i know the feeling of it i know what it's like i know how it makes me feel and i know that i can overcome it you know it's similar to a football player doing uh, doing up and downs or get ups or whatever you call them. You're jogging in place and then you hit the ground and you push yourself back up and you and you continue to run. And it's just a mindset and mentality to teach yourself that you might fall down, but you have to figure out ways to get back up immediately and not to just lay down and, and kind of crumble. And the same thing goes for your mindset and mentality in life. Like everything's not going to be smooth sailing. You know, it's a it's a marathon, as Nipsey Hussle would say. It's literally about being able to just get through that lap any means necessary. You might not get through each lap at, at the same time with the same intensity and the same type of uh, happiness, but just being able to finish that lap is, is what's really important. And I think that uh, Kyle Guy in Virginia has been able to overcome so much adversity and, and now are realizing that all that pain and suffering they went through was worth it because now they know what it's like to, to be the laughingstock and they know what it's like to be you know, the chosen ones to win a championship. What's harder, CJ, learning how to deal with failure or success? Man, I think the failure is is hard to deal with because it can deter you from even having that success. It can make you doubt yourself. It can make you question, you know, whether or not you're, you're meant to be successful in whatever it is you're failing at. It can make you question, you know, whether or not you want to continue to pursue uh, whatever career career field you're in. You hear about guys all the time talking about how they almost quit. Jimmy Butler almost dropped out of Marquette. You know, he was homesick. He was all these things. He was ready to go back home. I almost quit playing basketball because I was struggling. I was questioning myself. I had doubts. I was, you know, maybe, maybe I should continue to, you know, focus more on my education. You go through injuries. You go through those trials and tribulations, and your mind will literally tell you that maybe this isn't for you. When you're having success, everything is great. You know, everybody wants to be around you. You know, you're happy. You know, you're able to accomplish, you know, some of the goals and checklists you may have had. So dealing with that, you know, it takes humility. It takes, you know, being able to be humble, being able to be confident and comfortable, but realizing that you were fortunate enough to be in that position. But I think there's nothing like struggling uh, because it just it builds a different type of character, and a different type of appreciation, understanding of where you're at in life and what you have. And to be able to overcome struggles and succeed, I think that you really appreciate the success that much more. And that's kind of how my life has been. I've struggled and then I've had success. We struggled as a team and then we've had success. I've struggled as an individual and then I've had success. I've struggled academically and then I've made the dean's list. So I think you you appreciate the success that much more when you have to really work and earn it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, speaking of failure, you know, Magic Johnson stepped down as president of the Lakers. It surprised a lot of people. Uh, he he said, <laughs> "Great segue." Yeah, yeah. That's that's what we call for a professional segue, right there. Uh, that's why they pay me the big bucks. You know, journalism school or whatever kind of school I went to. I didn't actually go to journalism school. I'm not properly trained. Um, but uh, thank you, CJ. I, I appreciate you noticing that. Um, but he stepped down. Uh, he said he wants to get back to being Magic. Um, I've had the good fortune of knowing Magic uh, since I was a young guy, and um, you know, spent a, a fair amount of time with him. I, I can't say I was shocked. Uh, the more I think about it, because he loves being Magic. Nobody loves being themselves more than Magic does in terms of, you know, the ability to connect with people and and help others and do what he does. But at the same time, it's very odd timing considering the season's about to end, and um, you know, they got LeBron, and this this summer is a massive summer for the Lakers in terms of free agency. What were your thoughts? I was shocked and very, very surprised at how he did it. You know, mainly because I was in the arena. I had just lifted. Just the way he did it without telling Jeannie, without telling the organization and kind of just right being straight off the cuff. Just basically a monologue of him just talking about, you know, his feelings for the organization, his love for the city, his love for the organization, and essentially how there were some things that he was going to have to do that he didn't want to do. And he just decided that, you know, living his life, being magic, being able to reach out to players. He literally talked about being able to tweet Russell Westbrook congratulations. Those type of things were eating up at him. And D. Wade as well. Yeah, and D. Wade. So I think that those relationships with players, um, the fact that he likes to travel, he's a busy man. Uh, some, some people have basically said that he's more of an owner than a GM or president of operations. You know, he's he's more in that mindset of, you know, having people work underneath him and not having to be so involved with the day-to-day activities. And I think that really affected, you know, his overall health and well-being. They asked him, I think Rachel Nichols asked him, uh, why didn't you tell Jeannie or did you owe it to Jeannie to tell her first? And he said no, because if he had done that, then they both would have cried and he ended up would have, you know, he would have felt so guilty that he would have stayed on. Um, to do it, like you said, off the cuff, I think that's a good way to put it. He said it was decision over a couple of days. There was a report uh, out from Woj that, you know, he had met with Rich Paul and LeBron over the weekend, and, and really nobody saw this coming. Um, do you think that it was fair to the Lakers? Um, or even was it fair for Magic to himself, considering his history with the organization, to go about it the way he did? I think that... Since he knows he would have been easily influenced uh, by Jeannie, he knows that he would have been easily influenced by Rob and the Lakers organization to come back. He would have been crying and decided that, you know what, I should stay. I think it was smart for him to to do it without telling anyone because that's probably the only way he would have been able to honestly step down um, comfortably uh, without feeling guilty, without feeling any remorse, or without changing his mind. Do I think he handled it the right way? I'm not sure. I think he probably should have told Jeannie in advance. It's kind of like, you know, finding out you're, you're, you're being traded on Twitter, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that type of thing to where there's no heads up uh, given to you. I, I think he could at least gave him a heads up. But as he said before, you know, I think sometimes you just got to make the decision that's best for yourself. These organizations, a lot of times, they make the decision that's best for themselves. Players make the decision that's best for themselves. Why not? be the president of an organization and make a decision that's best for you. You know, sometimes the decision that's best for you isn't best for everyone else. It affects everyone else, obviously. The, the mindset, the hiring process, free agency coming up, uh, the overall 
um, impressions of the organization and the state of the organization kind of changes when the president just randomly steps out, steps down without telling anyone. But I think that his loyalty to Luke Wall and his loyalty to the organization showed in that he was emotional. You know, he was crying. He was happy. He was smiling. He he, he literally went through uh, the the roller coaster of emotions. And I think it, it basically came down to him not wanting to hurt. Yeah hurt too many people at once. And I think he did a combination of those things while showing that he truly does care about everyone. Well, Luke Walton's uh, the fall guy for magic in many ways. I, I don't, uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen with him. There's been a tremendous amount of speculation that he's going to be fired. There was, I, I don't think it came down to magic, not being able to fire Luke through genie. Uh, I think he had that power, but I don't think magic was thrilled about the idea of going into this summer uh, with, an ambiguous situation at best on his bench. Uh, the fact that, um, you know, they, they just have not been able to lure the types of guy like not getting Paul George, for example, and then not being able to get Anthony Davis in a trade. All, all these things that didn't go their way. Um, they, they felt really optimistic, to say the least, about LeBron coming uh, last year. I, I don't know if they feel optimistic at all about LeBron or about other stars coming this summer. In fact, I, I would make the argument, CJ, that the Clippers are probably not, not probably the Clippers are in a much better spot moving forward because of their young talent, the way that their, their cap structure is set up. Um, and it's just a fascinating dichotomy between two organizations that have had so such different results, you know, over the years. But um, I, I just, the whole thing rubs me in an odd way. And for magic to be in the position he was to only last one season, uh, what, what did you say? You said you were shocked. I think everybody was shocked from the Lakers' perspective, considering that LeBron found out. LeBron found out through the media himself. He didn't even he didn't know it was coming. Yeah, I think I think that's what really shocked everyone. And obviously, the season didn't turn out as they had hoped for. You know, they expected to go to the playoffs. They expected to compete. You know, for a championship in LeBron's first year. Obviously, the roster uh, needed some work. There were some injuries. There was a lot of things that happened behind the scenes that change the outcome of this season. But for Magic to step down, for there to be uncertainty on free agency, uncertainty about the bench, the Anthony Davis uh, saga that kind of went on right before the trade deadline, I think all those things impacted this organization. It impacted the players, the staff. And uh, this this Magic thing is essentially the icing on the cake. And now they have to search for a, a new president of basketball operations. Do they look at a David Griffin type of guy? Do they look at uh, a Monty Williams, a Ty Lue, or Mark Jackson for a potentially head coaching position if they decide to fire uh, Luke Walton? Uh, who, do they look at a Kemba Walker or a player like that from a guard perspective if he becomes a free agent? Do they look at Kawhi? Do they look at a Jimmy Butler? There's just so many question marks uh, kind of surrounding this organization. And then the fact that Magic seemed unhappy uh, allowed him to just make the decision that, you know what, I'm just going to step away from this now. Yeah. Right before the season ends. You know, Ma Magic has a... Uh has a way of connecting with people that is that is really what makes him special. He he had a 40 minute, you know, really impromptu press conference. It almost seemed like he was figuring it out as he spoke yesterday. Like if you watch if you go back and watch it, there are a couple times, there's two times at least where you feel like he doesn't really know what he wants to say because he doesn't really know how he feels. Um and so uh I, yeah, I just <laughs> One of the, you know, leave it to the NBA's final night in the regular season or, or second to final night. Dirk and D-Way go for 30. Magic, 
you know, retires from the Lakers once again. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's classic NBA. Definitely classic NBA. And I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out my guy, D-Wade. Shout out to D-Wade for an incredible career. Uh, one of my favorite players ever played the game. Uh, my brother actually went by D-Wade with braids when he was in high school. That was his name on uh, MySpace and Facebook. And it's ironic that D-Wade ends his career with braids uh, in style, dropping 30 points, man. So I appreciate all you've done, not only for the game, but for me uh, in general, having signed with Lee Ning, having grown cl- closer to you and developed a relationship with you and your beautiful family. I'm uh, looking forward to, to seeing what you do Uh post-retirement and continuing to figure out ways for me to improve as a basketball player in person. And shout out to Dirk as well. Spent some time with Dirk in Africa uh, two years ago uh, for the uh, World Games. And uh, just to see the type of person you are, how people light up when they're around you, your work ethic and what you've done for the game is, is extremely impactful, not only to us uh, Americans, but European players as well, showing them that anything is possible with hard work. So Shout out to those guys, man. And shout out to my guy, Jamal Crawford, who's going to be coming on the pull of pod soon. Dropped a 50-piece yeah. you know, in his last game of the season, man. Just kind of shows you that it's all about staying ready, preserving the body, doing things the right way, treating people the right way. I think Jamal is one of the most liked players uh, in the NBA. More show in a minute, but first, support for Pull Up with CJ McCollum comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose the template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their websites. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash pull up to get 10% off. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, back to the show. One of the things we didn't discuss is Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver, uh, my hat. My hat tips off to you. You wrote an incredible piece for the Players' Tribune. Um, you discussed uh, a variety of topics ranging from racism in America to, to white privilege in the United States and beyond. You touched on the Thabo incident. Uh, you touched on the Russell Westbrook incident. Uh, for those of you that aren't aware, uh, Thabo uh, Thefalosha was involved in an, in an incident with the uh, NYPD back in 2015 uh, where he was essentially arrested his leg ended up breaking, he ended up missing the rest of the season, and he ended up settling out of court. But it was just a, a big situation uh, and just kind of the icing on the cake between p- police brutality and uh, people of color. And I just think that, you know, the fact that, you know, he was able to kind of discuss, you know, his his perceived notions uh, on, on these matters, you know, being able to discuss you know, some of the ways we can improve society, you know, and, and with him being a white American who's in the NBA, which is a majority 
majority black league. I think it's 75% of color. He really discussed uh, everything. He discussed uh, privilege, the perspective of privilege, you know, how he as a white American could continue to try to figure out ways to to listen, to be more educated on certain matters and to actually speak up and not just kind of sit back uh, and watch. And one of the things I was really impressed with was, you know, the fact that he was able to to speak candidly about, you know, his thoughts on certain situations that had happened up to this point and now how he's views them, you know, having had teammates who are who are people of color, having, you know, had discussions in educational forums where he's learning more about the fact that there's black imprisonment rates or for drug charges and things like that are six times higher nationally than white imprisonment rates for the same drug charges. Talked about the disparity and gap, the systematic and institutional issues that stem around racism. And I, I really recommend uh, people reading the uh, Players Should Be in Peace that he wrote because it's from the heart, it's candid, it has a lot of facts, and it just gives you a different perspective on you know, some of the issues we have in America and how we can control them. And uh, I love to ramble, so I will... Ask Jordan. Jordan, have you read? Have you read the piece? Have you Have you read this play, player should be in peace? CJ, not only have I read it multiple times, but I I was so uh, impacted by it that I, I've sent it around to twenty or thirty, maybe of my closest friends, white and black, uh, because I think it's 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 a must read, not just for sports fans, but for for Americans. Uh, it's uh, during such a fragile time in our country. Um, this is just an incredibly important piece that he wrote, Kyle. Um, one of the things that struck me the most was the issue with with, with Tabo and really the the aftermath of it. So I, I remember this, and I'm I'm getting a little emotional because I, I was in New York when this happened. But uh, uh, Tabo was found not guilty uh, of all the charges. He he eventually settled with NYPD. Um, and then everything just kind of like fell by the wayside, as Kyle Corver writes about. Uh, nobody seemed to care anymore. It was just like, okay, well, this happened. But what really happened was uh, not only not only was it terrible, but it was so indicative of what has happened our, in our society. Where, um, for instance, in this situation, you know, violence against an African American man for no reason, and then just after a few months go by. And something settled. We just pretend like it didn't happen, or we as a society just move on from it to the next story. And Corver himself said he was—he felt like he had let himself down. Remember, him and Dabo were teammates in Atlanta; they had a good relationship. But uh, he felt powerless. I felt powerless. I was in New York. I remember when this happened, talking to people and people being like, "Well, I'm sure he did something." Well, he didn't do anything. And and it's just frustrating to me and sad to me more than anything that. Um, we're in this position where we constantly have these situations where we uh, of civil injustice and, and we just pretend like it didn't happen or we move on. And, and props to Kyle Corver for writing an, a wonderful piece, a, uh, an impactful piece and a piece that was uh, very poignant and powerful and uh, more than anything relevant. Yeah. And I think one of the things you pointed out and Kyle pointed out is that there's always this preconceived notion that if he was arrested, he must have done something wrong. You know, why is he out? Like Kyle Corver said before, one of the first questions he thought was, why is Tabo going out when we got a back-to-back? You know what I mean? Instead of why was he arrested or why did they break his leg? Why was he harmed? The preconceived notion is that, you know, why is he even going out? You know, granted, it was a back-to-back. They had a game, whatever. As a citizen of the United States, you have a right to do what you like. If you want to go out and have a drink or you want to go out with your friends, you have a right to do that and you shouldn't have to worry about being arrested or falsely accused of something or to his extent, 
injured for the rest of the season, you know, based on a misunderstanding or based on what what we believe was uh, a racially charged arrest. And then you fast forward, you know, to now and you have the Russell Westbrook incident. Obviously, Russell has been known to, you know, play with uh, extreme levels of passion and aggression. Uh, so when something happens with him in a fan, you think that, oh, Russell must have said something. And I think that's one of the things that Kyle uh, was was thinking was that I wonder what Russell did to kind of egg this fan on. And then you check the film and you see what happens. And in this situation, in this case, the fan, you know, essentially targeted Russell, made some 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 gestures and said some things that were inappropriate and, and racially charged. And now we're kind of going down the same path again. And then you rewind and you hear about DeMarcus Cousins' incident with a Boston Celtics fan who literally yelled the N-word at him. And you have these situations to where it constantly happens and then it's swept under the rug and it's as if nothing happened and we kind of just move on from it. So I think the, the biggest the biggest thing we have to do as a society is figure out ways to combat, you know, some of the racist and racially charged things that are happening daily, not just to African-Americans, but to society in general, because it's affecting all of us. I think accountability and responsibility are the two words that, that come to mind. And, and that's really what Kyle kept hitting on uh you know it's really easy to just say um you know to, to just move on from these things and say that everything's okay because it doesn't affect you directly but that's not that's not a solution uh it's it, it's just you my dad used to say to me when I was a kid he used to say if you don't if you don't attack a problem you become part of the problem and that's what Kyle Corver was is trying to do with this story he's trying to Look at a real problem, a systemic problem in our society, in America, that's affecting Americans, and say it's not okay to just sit back. And so I, I thought it was really admirable. And I, you know, it's these kind of stories and pieces, CJ, that lead to conversations like this, healthy conversations that then lead to action. You, you, you have to set the table with these discussions to, and have these discussions and be open about it before you can actually start to see change. So that's why I thought it was so important for Kyle to write it. Yeah, I agree, man. So once again, if you haven't read the article, I suggest you go check it out. It's called Privileged by Kyle Corver, and it's basically on every major news uh, or media site available. But it's originally written for the Players Tribune, so make sure you check that out. I'm curious, CJ, have, have you guys been talking about it in the locker room amongst uh, players and coaches? Yeah, we definitely discussed it. Uh, E.T. and I were talking about it the other day, along with Coach DV, David Vanderpool, just talking about, uh, you know, some of the facts that he put in the article, uh, some of the the banter, uh, the discussions that this article caused, not only amongst teams, but amongst America. You know, the amount of shares that that article received uh, from not just athletes, but just people in general who can relate to the situation that have happened to certain players, but it can also relate to, to being Kyle, who kind of watches from afar and thinks, I wonder what happened. I wonder what, what was the cause of this issue. Instead of looking at the issue, people try to think about the cause of the issue. And I think, you know, Kyle starting this discussion, you know, talking about his preconceived notions, talking about how him as a white American could easily just blend in and not say anything or, or not feel anything because it doesn't, it doesn't really affect his life. It doesn't affect his day to day. It only affects his peers. But I think that the fact that he was able to speak up, you know, right honestly 
uh, about how he feels about certain situations come from the heart about, you know, how, you know, Black Lives Matter, about how the, the NBA is 75% color. You know, you have a lot of European influence. There's a lot of people uh, who are essentially minorities who make up the NBA and have built up the NBA. So, you know, if you have a problem with, you know, certain people and you're just essentially tolerating it, that's unacceptable. And I think that the fact that he spoke up as a white American, you know, made it that much more important because I could say it, another African-American player could say it, and I don't think it would have resonated the same uh, with the rest of America, you know, because, because of the fact that everyone can't relate to what we feel, what we go through every day. But there's a lot more people in America that can relate to Kyle's perspective and how they can help impact the lives of everyone. Yeah. No, you, you hundred percent right. Um, CJ, I'm really glad you brought up Jamal because he's really been a beacon for Seattle basketball. He's helped so many young players coming up, whether it's Nate Robinson, Brandon Roy, who I grew up in the same AU program with, um, Kevin Porter Jr. now, Isaiah Thomas. The list goes on and on. Um, and it's really a, a testament to him as a person. And it's also a testament to D. Wade and Dirk. Here, the, here these guys are on their final home games as NBA players, both getting 30. And the story is so much about them as people, the way they're being celebrated uh, by fans, by players, uh, by their organizations. That, to me, says it all because um, it's not always the case. And yet these guys are so beloved around the league. Yeah, I think that's what means the most to a lot of players is having respect from your peers. We're the ones out there every day. We know who's real and who's not. We know who can play and who can't. And we feel like success and appreciation from players you've played with, players you've played against, people you've worked out with, people that have assessed your workout abilities. I think that it matters more to that they have respect. Like Dirk is respected by everyone. Dirk was a dog. He was a killer. He's a Hall of Famer. He's going to get a statute. D-Wade was a dog, was a killer. He's a Hall of Famer. going to get a statute. Jamal should probably be in the Hall of Fame, one of the best players ever to come off the bench to score 50 or more points with four different teams. Like He's legendary. And he gives back to the community. He's personable. He plays in pickup games. He gives candid interviews. He gives candid thoughts. He's available. I think all those things... Um, make them better. You know, they're, they're very likable people. They're engaging. They'll conversate. They'll try to uh, bring knowledge to the youth. They'll try to educate younger players on, you know, what not to do and, and how to be successful. I think all those things matter. And it's a way to gain more respect, not just by how you play, but how you act and, and how you live your life. And I think those guys have done things the right way. And, you know, look at Jamal. You know, this guy was was arranging a pickup game the night before his wedding. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of shows you, you know, his dedication to the game of basketball and what it means to him. Yeah, he'll what's crazy about Jamal is not only does he have the Pro Am in Seattle at SBU, but he he'll just like randomly show up at parks and rec centers and play basketball with anybody. He's that guy. He'll be 60 years old and still be playing hoop with anybody, which is great. You know, it's just a really cool uh deal. What what about D Wade? What if you had to say your favorite D-Wade memory, was it maybe the 06 Finals MVP? Because that that's, to me, when he was at his absolute peak. Man, there's just so many great D-Wade moments. Definitely the Finals uh, where they were, they were down, what, 0-2 and came back and won four straight games. 
that was that was legendary. I think his dunk on Varejao was legendary. Yeah. The lob yeah. to LeBron uh, during the Heatel days was legendary. I think USAB ball D-Wade was one of my favorite D-Wades too because of the explosiveness that he had. He was quick. He was crafty. He was dunking on bigs. He was hitting threes. And that's when, like, USAB was the height of USAB. You would stay up late or get up early to watch those games, depending on where they were being played at. Um, that was that was a very interesting and, and fun time, not only in his life, but in fans of D-Wade's life as well. Well, just give us a sense, because I know you've had a great relationship with him at, at Lee Ning and over the years. What, what's what's Dwayne like off the off the court? Because, I, I mean, I've interviewed him, but and we've had him on the show as well. But just for for fans that love Dwayne, What's he like as a as a person, as a father, as a man? He's one of the most genuinely humble and down to earth guys I've ever met in my life. Obviously, you know he carries himself, you know, properly. He's a he's a great businessman. He has a lot of different ventures, you know, in the fashion world, sock companies, investing, and just being a strategic and very very thought out. He's a strategic businessman who plans his life accordingly. He plans his work accordingly in terms of training, rehab, recovery, spending time with family, continuing to develop uh, his son, you know, that hoops, you know, supporting his younger son. Obviously, his relationship with Gabrielle Union to continue to empower her. Not being jealous of her career, I think he empowers her career, encourages her to, to be a strong, independent woman, to, to, to go and continue to pursue her acting, to, to continue to do her modeling, uh, she's she's very active and engaged in the community. I think they do a great job of uh, empowering each other and putting each other first. And I think that's that's one of the things I've I've noticed from D Wade is that he really enjoys his life. He works hard. He takes vacations. He spends time with his family. Um, he's also uh, done a great job of developing young players. You know, last year we went to D Wade Summit um, out in Orange County. Uh, California, and he put on summits to where we were able to learn about different business ventures he's done, you know, companies that he has working relationships with. He told us about the importance of investing, you know, how to invest properly, what what types of things you should do with your money. I've literally reached out to him with questions about everything, from trying to sign with a Chinese company to figuring out ways to be more marketable to uh, potential partnerships I may have in the wine industry, asking him how he went about certain partnerships, strategically planning them from basketball stuff. How do I improve this? How do I improve that? How do I extend my career? You know, what type of things should I be eating? How much sleep should I be getting? How do you balance all these things? To just being a black man who promotes the importance of therapy. You know, one of the things that, that we've always gone through in our society, and I talk about it a lot, is, you know, what happens in your house stays in your house. Don't want to tell other people your business. You're kind of afraid to speak out and, and share your problems. But D. Wade has openly talked about the importance of therapy, the impact it's had on his life, how he's going to need therapy uh, once he retires because of the changes he's going to have to go through as a man who's had this game uh, be such a large part of his life. And just all those things I've been able to, to kind of ask him and, and see from him. And he's always responded right away. He's always trying to figure out ways to help me improve as a man and a person. And I genuinely appreciate it. And I think that a lot of other players in the league have used him as a resource. Yeah. You know, a Hall of Famer who's also a great person and businessman. I don't know if it gets better than that in terms of, you know, how he's been able to, you know, write his own legacy. And uh, I'm happy he was able to go out on his own terms and have his uh, one last dance. Yeah, I love how he said, you know, I love you, Wade County. And I love how he said, um, 
I read an interview recently, I, th- I think ESPN The Mag, where he said, you know, I'm 37 years old, I'm a young man, but, you know, for basketball, he, he's obviously becoming uh, ancient, even though he can still hoop. But he now has his whole life ahead of him where he, he's going to be able to do things that he couldn't do when he played. And I think it's really cool he continues to push the envelope for, for mental health. He says he wants to go to therapy and, and spend more time figuring out who he is individually. Uh, you know, all of these things that that athletes for so long were, were so scared to say, uh, he continues to help us with that and, and you know, really blaze a trail for guys like you behind him and, and other young guys that aren't even in the NBA where it's okay to to question yourself and it's even a good thing, a healthy thing to say, I want to go to therapy and learn more about um, myself and any issues I might have. So I, I just give the guy a ton of credit. Yeah, I give him a ton of credit too. And I think that, you know, the fact that he was able to accomplish so many things and still have some left in the tank, but decide to retire, to spend more time with his family, to be around for his son's senior year, to be around for his daughter. Um, I think that just kind of shows you the type of person and, and man he is. And uh, you look at Dirk. Dirk's a guy who played 21 years. You see thousands of Mavs employees line up to watch him walk into the arena. I thought that was that was awesome, man. And, and being a guy who's in Portland right now and, and continuing to work and continuing to try to build, you know, they give you hope for, you know, what the light at the end of the tunnel looks like. You know, doing things the right way during your career, playing hard, devoting yourself to this game, helping others. They kind of wrote the blueprint for how to have success, how to leave gracefully, and how to f- figure out ways to impact the community and help others, you know, outside of yourself. Yeah. That guy, what a career. He, he Not only is he a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's he's got an opportunity to go down as, I guess him and D-Wade both, as at their position, top three all time. I think is that fair? For sure, top five. Um, but it's it's always hard to compare eras. I think I in know. our era, I know. now having watched him for my life, I would say he's one of the best ever at his position. Yeah, yeah. But I, I wasn't alive to see some of the other greats. Yeah. Well, D Wade, D Wade's probably going to go down. They asked him about this the other day as the third best shooting guard ever. I I would imagine Jordan. Who's two? Kobe. Kobe. Who's four? What about Jerry West? I love Jerry West. Ooh, see, there you go with the era stuff. I never got to see Jerry West play. So The knock on Jerry West was that he only won one title. I think that's that's a nonsense thing to say. The guy was, he's basically like, he really is one of the truly great, I mean, he's a logo. He's one of the greatest players ever. Um, but yeah, you're right. Eras, comparing eras is hard. When Jerry West played, there wasn't a three-pointer. Then you, you wonder how many different threes, or how many threes he would have hit, and then points. It, it really, it's hard to, to judge. I think... Of our era, D. Wade for certainly goes down as, as number three behind uh, behind Michael and Kobe. More show in a minute, but first, I wanted to take a second to talk about Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerage charges up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular, 
With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Pull Up with C.J. McCollum a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at pullup.robinhood.com. Okay, back to the show. We didn't even discuss the current playoff race. What are your thoughts on the playoffs? There's a lot to be, there's a lot at stake right now. I am so excited about these play. I've been, I've been for a month. I've been saying, can't the regular season just end? I, I need these playoffs, and now we're finally here. Uh, from the East, I think you have four or five teams. Really, I think four teams that could come out of it. Milwaukee continues to be my pick. Um, one stat about Milwaukee that's really interesting that I. I think uh, my ESPN colleague, Kirk Goldsberry, said this. They were dead last last year in points at the rim allowed. Now they're first. We, we, you know, Offensively, obviously, they've unlocked Giannis, and, and they've been a, a really a tremendous all year. But from a defensive standpoint, they've made the biggest leap. I think Toronto, Philadelphia, and Boston are all dangerous. The West is, in many ways, more interesting because just how deep it is. Um, but I'm really excited to see you guys. I obviously I want to see what Denver can do now that they're considered a uh, potential favorite or certainly in that discussion. Are the Warriors uh, have they've turned a switch? Um, what about somebody like San Antonio that's been dormant kind of all year, but now all of a sudden they're in the playoffs with all that experience? There's a lot. There's a lot more storylines in the West for me, but I, I'm excited about it all. Yeah, I'm definitely excited about it all. Obviously, I'm looking forward to. <laughs> This playoff run, I'm looking forward to being able to play at home again and, and kind of rebuild on some of the things you know we were able to accomplish throughout this season. Um, looking at the the seeding, looking at the the East and the West, and you know being healthy is a priority for a lot of teams. I think that's that's to be considered. You know, as you go down the stretch of the games and looking at the the playoffs, likely starting on a Saturday or Sunday, I think that gives a lot of teams ample time to figure out. You know how to rest, how to properly scout for their opponent. I know our, our head video guy stayed behind and didn't travel in a previous road trip just to get ahead on film and kind of figure out the the percentages and chances of us playing certain teams. I'm sure a lot of other video coordinators you know, across the NBA are are having sleepless nights as they continue to try to prepare for multiple teams that we put potentially could face, you know, in the playoffs with the seeding, with the home versus away, and all those things that go into account with how close uh, this postseason run was. So do you look at like more so an individual matchup for you? Like if you're going to play right now, you're scheduled to play Utah. Will you watch more on Donovan uh, and their guards or will you watch more from a perspective of what they're running? I mean, I watch everything. They do a great job of breaking down so much film sets, uh, tendencies, like moves like guys like, you know, to get right versus to get left, uh, pick and rolls, isolation situations, how they score, how they guard us in pick and rolls. Uh, how they, how we guard picking roles, you know, what we should do in certain sets that they run. Should we force guys left or right? Uh, there's just so much film and analytics that goes into it. They literally have everything, you know, broken down to how many possessions they have driving left, how many possessions they have driving right, percentages coming out the left corner versus the right corner, how often or prone they are to pass when they go right versus when they go left. Uh, how often they go to the free throw line when they drive right versus go left, what counter wow. moves they like to use, what sets they like to run to start the games, what sets they like to run late game, uh, ATOs, uh, which is basically after timeouts. Um, 
there's just so much that goes into the playoffs because you're literally focused in on playing one team, yeah. one opponent that you've already played four or five times. Um, in our case, we played them in the preseason, we played them in the regular season four times, and now, uh, who, depending on who we play, you know, since it's a Western Conference team, this will be you know best out of seven. That means we're going to be playing this team you know, close to 10 times, 11 times, depending on how long the series lasts. So you're very familiar with the team, the play calls, the counters, and the moves of players, along with the rotation as well. You said Utah last week, they they won't give up corner threes, but they will allow you to shoot wing threes, right? Yeah, I mean, they're one of those teams that's very good defensively. I think they have the best uh, overall defensive uh, efficiency sense all-star break, obviously, it all starts with the big man in the middle. He changes shots. He's good in pick and roll. He's long. He's athletic. They switch screens. They they dog screens. They they hard head screens. They change up their coverages. And uh, historically, you know, they're one of the teams that, you know, closes out, tries to run you off the line in general and force you to play in that, in that mid-range area. But historically, they haven't given up corner threes. They'd like to give up the wing threes, the arc threes, just because the percentages drastically drop. Um, not only do they drop when you take a dribble, but they also drop when it's outside of the corner. Great stuff. I wonder for you, last question would be, can you ever watch too much film, CJ, where you start thinking or overthinking the game? Yeah, I think I believe in a such thing as paralysis by analysis, where you can kind of trick yourself or confuse yourself. So, I, I mean, I watch a lot of film. I break the game down, but I also stick to the basics of knowing who I am, knowing how I've been successful all the years and figuring out ways to continue to be my best self. And uh, I think you know, Kyrie has one of those models, uh, JBY, just be you. I think that's enough a lot of times. Just being yourself is enough to be successful. And you can live with the results of failure or success when you've done everything you can to your power from a preparation standpoint to a sleep standpoint to a recovery standpoint to a getting reps to where I deserve to have success in certain things because I put the work in. I've prepared. I've watched film. I've studied defensive coverages. I figured out how to be successful offensively. I figured out how to guard things defensively. I figured out how to preserve my body to the best of my ability and recover as fast as possible so that I can have success on the court. So that regardless of the circumstances and what happens, I know I put my all into this game. I've done everything I can to have success. Therefore, I should have success. So it's not just uh, falling back on the skill work and all the v- development and the offseason and during the season, strength work, everything. It's the fact that you know you've done it. You know you've put it in. Now you can rely on that mentally of having that foundation. Exactly. I think that, you know, doubt can really paralyze you. You know, having those doubts, those inches of doubt or confusion or hesitation. It's kind of like when you go to shoot a jump shot and you're trying to figure out whether you should bank it or swish it, that indecision, that slight indecision can can be devastating. And the confidence that you have and the trust and preparation to where you just deliberately do something and you live with the results, I think that's when you're more successful. When you just make a decision, like, do I want French fries today? Yes. And you drive and get you some French fries or you tell chef, make me French fries today. I think when you have complete decision, complete, no hesitation, that's when things work out the best. When you start to doubt it or think about maybe I shouldn't do this or maybe I shouldn't do that, I think that's when you have failure. So I just try to be be as precise as possible with my decision making. And that starts with my preparation so that I know I've watched film, I've studied this, I've gotten shots in these places so that when I do take a shot, a step back going left, I can live with the results because I've gotten thousands of step backs going left. I've gotten thousands of step backs going right. I've gotten thousands of pull-ups. 
I've made thousands of pull-ups. I put thousands of hours in, you know, working on certain moves to where regardless of the results, I've done my job. I've done everything I can to put myself in a position to have success. Shout out to pull-up. I love that you keep shouting it out. Pull-up. You know, it just happens like that. And that was authentic, too. I didn't even plan it. (laughs) Mr. McCollum, you are one of a kind. All love, bro. Well, I hope you get some rest. Playoffs are coming. Winter is coming. We're, we're almost oh, Game of Thrones. to Game of Thrones Sunday. So Yes, April 14th. Man, life, life happens fast. Oh, my gosh. I, you know what? I Forget the playoffs. Game of Thrones, baby. It's, it's that time. And when there's Game of Thrones, that means there's Game of Zones. So this is going to get even better. There you go. All right, bro. Well, get some rest, and uh, we'll catch up real soon. Sounds good, man. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, radio.com backslash pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up.